Got a couple resources to recommend. Um, last week I brought in The Excellent Wife and by Martha Peace, The Exemplary Husband by Stuart Scott. Highly recommend getting those. Uh, as I said, if you end up in marriage counseling, you will end up, re at least biblical marriage counseling, you will end up reading those. So reading them ahead of time is a good plan. Uh, the other ones from this morning, specifically for um, conflict, and I didn't use either of these because there's entirely too much in these books to even start to do a Sunday school <laughs> lesson on it. Uh, the Peacemaker by Ken Sandy. This is a great resource and um, sort of the companion that goes with it, Peacemaking for Families which is actually put out by Focus on the Family. I was curious about that. Uh, anyway, because um, Focus on the Family isn't always the best. But anyway, um, those are great resources. I, really, the Ken Sandy book, and I, I'll talk some more um, about good reasons to read that ahead of time. Um, and as usual, you know, the, the, the concepts we're going to cover here this morning are broadly, uh, we can apply these broadly because they're from God's Word, um, but we're going to refer to them more specifically to, to our marriages uh, this morning. And we're obviously not going to be covering this exhaustively in 40 minutes. Uh, in fact, we're going to be doing a quick flyby in 40 minutes of this topic. Uh, as you guys know, being married, and maybe some of you have not been married very long, uh, don't realize that conflict happens in marriages. And uh, over a long period of years, it can happen a lot depending on the marriage. Um, so this is hopefully going to be helpful this morning. And But resources like the Peacemaker uh, are definitely helpful for doing that. And I do recommend reading them whether you have ongoing conflict or not. And the reason why, and the reason we're even we're recommending these resources is not so you can keep them in mind so that when something comes up and you feel like the resource might be useful. That's not time to read the resources. The time to read the resources and to study these things is before you need them, before the things come up. And that's what I said earlier about having the, about the value of doing something like an ACBC certification or SI or L, LBI is that more so the certification, I think, because it's more applicable, it's more practical, uh, and you're learning to apply the word well. And when you have those things in your mind already or the concepts from these resources, which are the same things, they're written by people who teach this stuff, that it's going to be in your mind, you're going to avoid a lot of the things that become problems that you end up in counseling for or whatever, or people end up in counseling for, that kind of thing. So, um, you know, it's better to be done proactively than uh, reactively uh, when you are studying these things. So, uh, Stuart Scott said, and, and I really just included this because I thought it was a funny quote, but Stuart Scott said, uh, it has been said, marriage is made in heaven, but so are thunder and lightning. Uh, and so, you know, of course, that it's, it's a funny quote because we can probably relate. We probably know marriages that are thunder and lightning, right? Some of us probably are aware of people that it's a thunder and lightning type of a marriage. Hopefully that's not the case in this class. And if it has been in the past, hopefully it won't be from now going forward uh, at least. So why talk about conflict? You know, we've been talking about communication. This is really the end of our series on communication. And, you know, we're finishing with conflict. So why, why end with this? Well, uh, Stuart Scott also says, sinful communication is always involved in conflict. Uh, Wayne Mack, I think I said this in the last couple of weeks, Wayne Mack said that anytime he has counselees with marriage problems, which problems translate conflicts, right? Uh, it always involves poor communication. And I think Keith Lambert was the one that said, that communication makes the difference between a good marriage and a difficult marriage. And I think we can define good and difficult in whether they have 
conflict or whether they don't have conflict on a regular basis, right? And so that is very true that communication is involved. Dale Johnson said, one of the most dangerous situations I see in marriage counseling is not the marriage where one major event has occurred in a situation of adultery or unfaithfulness, but a couple that's been living with one another and not dealing with conflict for a period of 15 or 20 years, their hearts get so enraged and embittered. In, in other words, it's not those big, huge things that happen oftentimes that are the bigger problem. The bigger problem is that people have not dealt with conflict appropriately over time, and they have not conformed to the image of Christ in their marriage, and they have not been blessings to one another over years and years and years, that those things are really hard to fix at that point. And it doesn't have to go 15 or 20 years. It, it, we can, it can be much shorter than that. But if we don't deal with conflict, it becomes very it more and more difficult to deal with as you let it go on. And so uh, dealing with these things early on, avoiding it altogether or knowing how to resolve conflict uh, in an early state is a much better plan. Heath Lambert says, There's no conflict in, there is conflict in all of our relationships. Good relationships are characterized not by the absence of conflict, but by people who know how to respond to conflict when it arises. We're going to have conflict because we're not perfect people. We aren't Jesus. We're not married to Jesus either. So it, it's, we're going to have problems. It's going to happen that we're going to respond sinfully and conflict is going to happen. The difference is between whether that marriage is going to thrive or not is whether we know how to deal with conflict or not. If we deal with it rightly and we are conforming to Christ, then it'll be a blessing to our marriage. Jay Adams related this counseling experience. He says, Once I counseled a couple who, among other things, were fighting over the way each left the toothpaste tube after using it. One squeezed it in the middle, and the other left the cap off. Now, you know, this seems like a silly example, but this, this is really important stuff because neither of these habits are acceptable, okay? <laughs> don't, don't do either one of those ever, okay? Now, before I go any further... Okay, before I go any further with this, what do you suppose would be a great solution to this problem? Anybody have an easy solution? Simon. Two toothpaste. Exactly. No problem, right? Okay, so it's a very sensible, you can see the answer. We, we, we in our sensible minds in this classroom at the moment can very easily see the answer to this is two tubes of toothpaste, right? Okay, but... He goes on, they were in no mood to think rationally. Whenever she went to the bathroom and saw the squash tube, she said to herself, that man's been at it again. Whenever he saw the cap removed and found toothpaste hardened at the end of the tube, he thought, she doesn't even care enough for me to put the cap on. She knows I can't stand it that way. Now, he says, the problem wasn't the toothpaste tube. It was a marriage so badly in the rocks that the tube had become a symbol of the other interpersonal problems that they had. Until they came to a proper biblical relationship with one another, they wouldn't even try to seriously deal with the toothpaste tube issue. And so they were living with this, what we would consider a small issue of toothpaste tube, right? It doesn't seem like a big issue, but they're living in this and they're frustrated by it, but it's not because of the toothpaste. It's because of all the other stuff, all the other conflict that hasn't been dealt with that the toothpaste basically sets them off the end every time they see it, right? So he's giving a simple example here, and there are much greater issues in marriage. Uh, so consider the greater point he's making here, okay? It's not just toothpaste. 
He says, so don't be misled into thinking that if you deal with the issue, you will have helped. You can only deal with it after the relationship has been righted biblically by repentance before God and reconciliation, reconciliation with one another. Always ask yourself, what in the relationship has become a complicating factor? What is keeping us from solving the issue? Now think about a bigger issue. What, what is keeping us from solving this issue? There's something, there's something else around this thing that's keeping us from solving it. In response, you will find yourself confronting sinful attitudes that need changing, ways of speaking to one another that honor God, unearthing long-standing grudges, clearing up misunderstandings that have led to bitterness, and so on. When these have been eliminated and proper biblical ways of relating have been learned, then all sorts of issues will dissolve as if they had never existed. So when we have, when we're thinking rightly, when we're thinking unselfishly, and we're going to get into the, the causes of conflict and those things, but when we're thinking rightly and dealing with conflict and, and relating rightly to one another in a way that's pleasing to God, then these little issues don't become issues, or even big issues don't become issues because we're able to overlook them or deal with them rightly. Um, that is not to say that some may not remain, but when they do, it will be two persons bent on pleasing God who will be resolving them, not two who are hostile and who in their self-centeredness have been ignoring God. So I urge you to think of each situation in terms of issues and relationships, and you will rarely go wrong. So when we're thinking first about the relationships and how the issues relate to our relationships, then we can't, we're not going to go wrong because we're going to be thinking about how we ought to be relating to our spouse rightly. And we're hearing a whole lot of that in church right now. And I, I was almost, almost going to scratch this morning's lesson and just have discussion time about church this morning, but y'all haven't been there yet, so we couldn't do it. Sorry. <laughs> Ongoing conflicts are indicative of relational issues often started or exacerbated by poor communication. So if, you're, if, if a marriage is having ongoing conflicts or conflict after conflict after conflict, those kind of things, then it's not the conflict, it's not the fact that you're just not getting along with these conflicts. There's other relational issues to be dealt with. So what is conflict? We're talking about conflict already, I've already gotten into this, but what is it? Well, Bill Shannon, uh, he says, here's the general definition. And this is going to be pretty complex, so keep your, keep your ears open, okay? It's fighting. A conflict is when both parties sin against one another. They sin in their communication, they sin in their actions, they sin in their opposition to one another. I know that's completely not what you were expecting, but that's what it is. You know, it's, it's fighting. It's when we're not getting along and relating as we should. As I said last week, or maybe the past two weeks, it takes two people to make conflict. So Proverbs 15, 18. A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but the, slow, but the slow to anger calms a dispute. So if one person is coming in hot, so to speak, and they're coming in angry, and the other person is responding coolly, responding wisely, responding calmly, then that's going to dispel the issue right away, right? It takes two people to create a conflict. If there is conflict, one person can't legitimately point to the other as the one causing the conflict. We can't point to the other person and say, they're causing this conflict. They may be being sinful, but they are not causing the conflict. One might have been the first to do or say something to tempt the other to respond in a sinful way, but one person does not make conflict. You need two people to have conflict. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, I think we've said this one several times in this class. 
but it's very appropriate here. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. In short, we have no excuse to sin. Nothing causes us to sin. We choose to sin regardless what the other person is doing. If the other person is sinning, we have no license to sin in return. If there's conflict, we can be sure there's sin involved. If there's conflict, there's always repentance that needs to take place, usually by both parties. If there's conflict, there's usually been sin that needs to be repented of on both sides. So what, what gets us into these fights? What gets us into these conflicts? And I want, to, I want to clarify here real quickly that conflict is not the same as disagreement. D- disagreements are okay and they're expected. We are going to disagree. Nobody, no two people married or two people at any time really uh, have the same perspectives, the same backgrounds, the same experience or expectations. So having those different perspectives and differences in opinion or viewpoints, dis- disagreeing on things, that's okay. That's, but that's not conflict. So what gets us into real conflict? James 4, 1 through 3. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? And, when, and that, that question says, what is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Literally, it means from where wars and from where fightings. From where are the wars coming from and where are the fightings come from? What, what is causing those? Is not, the source of your, is, is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, literally wicked motives. You ask wickedly, so that you may spend it on your pleasures. The difference in conflict from disagreement is the emotional factor that's added. So that emotion is desire. We, we see that what it says, uh, you lust and do not have. So that lust, we can translate that as desire. James says lust. It's driven by pride and selfishness. It includes envy, anger, and fear. We want what we want when we want it. And when we want that to the extent that we're able to sin about it, that's, what, that's going to con, cause conflict. When it seems that someone is standing between us, namely our spouse in this case, is standing between us and what we want, that conflict is going to be, the temptation of the conflict is going to be there. The, the instigator to conflict is going to be there. So we don't want, we don't want conflict. That's, that's, that's pretty well established, right? Uh, we want to avoid it. But there are sinful ways to avoid conflict. And so here's a few. Um, and I want you to listen for ways that you might have dealt with conflict in these ways before. So these are sinful ways, wrong ways to avoid, to avoid conflict. We're going to talk about avoiding conflict. We're going to talk about uh, resolving conflict. But this is avoiding conflict altogether. So just keeping quiet. So the person who clams up. Avoiding, com- avoiding communication is, is general rule is sinful. We've talked about this lots of time throughout this, com- this communication series that we are commanded to speak truth to one another. We're commanded to speak in a way that edifies and gives grace to others. We can't do that if we're not speaking, if we're just being quiet. So we are commanded to speak and not to be quiet. And when we're quiet, the person who clams up and is not 
talking about the difficulties, the challenges that they're having with whatever's going on, with whatever's going on and what's tempted them to conflict or what the conflict is, they're trying to avoid it, that bitterness can grow. If it's not being expressed, they're just going to hold it in and they're just going to become bitter instead, or very likely anyway. Next, stay away from one another. So just stay away from one another. You guys have probably heard of marriages that they just live on other side, you know, older, older couples that have been around for a long time and they just learned that staying away from each other is a good plan. So they live in opposite sides of the house and they, I don't know, they have bathroom time scheduled or something. I don't know. They just, they just stay away from each other. And I, I've heard of, of older marriages doing this. <clears throat> Obviously, we're commanded to love one another, and this can't be done in any real way when we're not with one another. So this, this isn't an option uh, at all. Next, changing the subject. So rather than dealing with it, just shift to something else, right? Well, th- this tactic, it, it's, it's a lot like just keeping quiet because you're just not dealing with, you're not talking about the subject, right? You're not talking about what could potentially be the conflict. However, it's essentially deceptive and manipulative because you are saying, this isn't an issue, we're going to jump to this instead. And you're just hopping around. Um, so, not, so changing the subject or, or just trying to do something else. And lastly, hiding information, sins, or bitterness. And of course, this is also deceptive. And so it's sinful we know that to be true, um, and there's no way uh, a couple can be, we can't be one as a couple if we are hiding stuff, if we are keeping sin and bitterness and information, just not dealing with it, not talking about it. Okay, so what are some sinful ways to resolve conflict once we're in it? So those were, the first ones were avoiding conflict. This is once there is conflict. What are some sinful ways of resolving it? Now, I want you, again, listen. The reason I'm saying listen is because I, my guess is that sometime in our past, all of us have done at least one of those things I just said, or maybe one of these things I'm about to say about resolving conflict, right? I'm not, I'm not pointing fingers here. I know I'm including myself in this, is that in the past, I know I've done at least one of those things. So, so listen for some of these things because you don't want to you know, you don't want to out of habit or out of a reaction, that worked last time, let's do it again. You know, you want to be thinking about the ways you shouldn't be doing this. So a few more. Let time heal it. Uh, time doesn't heal anything, guys. It, it, in fact, if, if it lays out there and it's not dealt with, bitterness grows along the way and it gets worse sometimes. A lot of times it gets worse. And it's much more difficult to deal with it as time goes on. Because as time passes, then what happens? I think I said this. I think I told you this at that time. I think, no, I didn't say it that way. I said it this way. You know, the remembrance of what happened is gone. And then you can't deal with it appropriately. Next, try to bury it. So essentially just try and just put everything on top of it, right? And just keep on moving on. Next, pretend it never happened. So just ignore the, the fact that there was an issue to deal with. And uh, you're not going to make your spouse very happy if you do this at all. So pretending that it didn't happen, particularly if they're trying to deal with it and you don't want to deal with it, it's not going to go well for you at all. Wait for the other person to initiate the resolution process. So I would say my guess is that this may be the most common way that we try to resolve problems 
maybe I'm way off, but I think this is probably the, the most common way that we sinfully try to resolve conflict is that we wait for the other person to initiate the resolution process rather than taking the initiative ourselves to do it. We wait for them to do it. And if you've been paying attention in church for the last few weeks, particularly for the husbands, as God has placed the lead role in accountability for the marriage, waiting for a wife to initiate resolution is not fitting that role. As husbands, it's not fitting our role. It's not that we do it all. Not, not that I've done this perfectly. Certainly not. But in just looking at this and thinking about the roles and thinking about all that Chris has been teaching and considering how we relate in marriage and a conflict comes up, it is, it is on the husband, it, just scripturally as a lead role in the marriage, it is fitting for that role for him to initiate the resolution process. I'm not saying he has to do it every time, but it is fitting to that role. Next, punish the other person until they change and take all the blame. This may be the second most common thing that we do, right? Make life hard for them until they figure out that they need to change and they want to get it all settled, right? Now, in, in, answer, in, in those things, those, those solutions or those resolutions for conflict, those sinful resolutions for conflict, do you guys hear, this is what I heard as I was reading those, I hear cowardice and fear in those ways. You just don't want to deal with it, so you're just putting it off, or you're burying it, or you're just waiting for them to do it, because we just don't want to take the courage, or we don't want to have the courage, or exert the energy in order to make it happen, in order to, to humble ourselves. It's difficult to do that, and so I'm hearing, I hear cowardice and fear in those answers, and it reminded me of Proverbs 28.1. The wicked flee when no one is pursuing, but the righteous are bold or confident as a lion. The person who is righteous is able to come to the situation with God's Word and apply it and be willing to do that themselves first. And so that's what we're called to do. Okay, so next, what are godly ways of avoiding? So we talked about sinful ways of avoiding conflict, sinful ways of resolving conflict. Now some godly ways of avoiding conflict, so not even getting into the conflict at all, okay? avoiding it completely. Romans 12, 3, for the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment. Bill Shannon says, isn't that the problem? Isn't that the issue? We think we know. We have the answer. We think we know better than everyone else. So we want to let them know that we know better than them. So we are thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. Not that we're not right. We might be right. But we're not sure. We can't be sure that we're right. We have to be pursuing the other person's perspective. We have to be pursuing whether and thinking first, is there something that I could be wrong in? Our, our default position, a lot in our fleshly world, and when we're living out of our flesh, is to say, I'm right. Why can't they get it? Why can't they understand that I'm right? And I'm always right. Why don't they always know that I'm always right? You know, whatever. Instead, we should have the attitude of Jesus as we read in Philippians 2. And I think Chris already did this in church. But have, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. 
we're called to die to ourselves. And when we're dying to ourselves, and when we are willing to lay down our lives, so to speak, then we are going to avoid conflict altogether because we're not going to take those offenses that are shot at us. We're not going to think so highly of ourselves to think, how could they possibly do that to me? I'm wonderful. You know, we're going to see things in the proper light of our humble state. Now, something to consider in this regard, and even in what Chris is talking about in the wife's uh, role, something to consider in this, in, if there's no conflict... So you don't have any conflict, you're avoiding conflict. Does that mean the relationship is always going to be easier for us? So we are humbling ourselves, we are avoiding conflict, but does that mean that our relationship is necessarily going to be wonderful and easier for us? Well, no, not necessarily. Uh, when we humble ourselves and seek to serve rather than to be served, as Jesus did, Mark 10, and 45, we can be sure we're pleasing God, but that may not be easy. Living in a godly manner with someone who is living in an ungodly manner, or certainly with an unbeliever, um, that is going to be difficult. Now, hopefully in the marriages represented here, that's not the case. Hopefully humbling ourselves will encourage our spouses to do the same. Um, but being free of conflict for the sake of our own comfort, is not the goal. That's not why we're avoiding conflict. Uh, the goal, I mean, it's nice when we avoid conflict, and it is usually more pleasant for us, right? But that's, that's not the reason. That's not the goal. The goal is pleasing God, regardless of how it works out for our comfort. So regardless of how easy it is for us, we're still seeking to please God, and sometimes that gets difficult. Now, if both husband and wife are believers and consistently striving to please God in humility and preferring one another, will this result in harmony and joyful relationship and marriage? Yes. Yes, it will. God's design is that husband and wife become one flesh, loving and honoring one another. So if that's the case, then yes, we will have joy in our marriage. We will have harmony in our marriage. But it, it, it requires us to both be humbling ourselves and to be seeking to please the Lord rather than pleasing ourselves. Stuart Scott said, and I, you'll know why I included this quote in just a second, but Stuart Scott said, the more a couple works at love and becoming one, the more different differences will be accepted and blended to enhance the marriage. So he's talking about, you know, the more we are, um, the more we're just being okay with the differences, being okay with disagreements without making them uh, conflicts. And it's not just, so we talked about having the attitude of Christ, but it's not just having the attitude of Christ, but having the right attitude regarding Christ. Jim Neuheiser said, if you see yourself as chief of sinners and you are daily marveling that God shows you mercy, then when someone sins against you, grace is going to come out rather than law and wrath. So when we see ourselves as being great sinners and we are mindful of what God has done for us in forgiving us, that is the basis of our thought that we should be in as we have sin coming at us from our spouse or anybody else. Uh, when we keep in mind the great sin that God has forgiven us in Christ, we aren't shocked when the sinner we live in sins against us because we know that we are perfectly capable of doing it ourselves, and we have done it ourselves. So, 
not only thinking that we're right all the time, but thinking that we're perfect all the time. I mean, knowing and recognizing our own sinfulness allows us to have grace towards others when they sin as well. We can also keep in mind that as God changes us, God works on that person as well. We can't change our spouse. We try. We want to. We can help them, but we can't change our spouse. God changes our spouse. We're called as husbands and wives to live as faithful believers with our spouses, encouraging him or her in their sanctification. So I've said it before in this group, but but we are not, a lot of times we don't fall down in not submitting or not leading or the things that were specifically our husband marriage things. We fall down and we fail in our marriages because we don't live as believers. We don't live doing the one another's with our one another. <laughs> we don't do the one another's on a regular basis in our households. And that's where the conflicts come from. We're just not applying God's word uh, as it applies to living as believers. Lost my spot. We are placed in our marriage relationships as our spouse's closest neighbor and nearest brother or sister in Christ. As we live with our spouse, that's the first and primary opportunity to practice the one another's. So we are living in our home. If our spouse is a believer, we are their closest neighbor, as Scripture refers to, and we are their closest brother or sister in Christ. So we have the greatest opportunity to encourage and build them up and to love them well and to forgive them and to help them in their sanctification. Romans 12.10 tells us, Be devoted to one another in brotherly love to give preference to one another in honor. Remember, it takes two to have a conflict, so answering rightly goes a long way to preventing conflict. So Proverbs 15.1 We've talked about this one in the communication here before, but Proverbs 15, 1, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. So when that person is coming to us with an angry countenance, they're coming to us with angry words, that gentle answer that we give back to them is going to calm that. It's going to turn away the wrath. If we answer in a harsh word or an angry word, it's just going to stir up more. It's going to stir up more strife. So what are godly ways of... So that was some godly ways of avoiding conflict. How about godly ways of resolving conflict? Now, obviously, those things that we just talked about apply as you get into resolving it also, is recognizing those things and where you need to change. Of course, in resolving conflict, you're not only going to change those things, but if the conflict is already in in effect, you're going to need to communicate these things to your spouse. You're going to have to communicate to them the sin that you need to repent of. You're going to have to communicate these things that you need to fix. Romans 12, 18, If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Hebrews 12, 14, Pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. So, pursuing peace. Now, that's a very general thing to say, right? But I think we can, we can think about that. We, we can understand what pursuing peace is, Right? We, I mean, we ought to, as believers that have been in church, at least at grace for very long at all, we should understand what pursuing peace is. But we're not, so that's just two verses. We're also told directly to seek peace in Psalm 34, Romans 14, 2 Timothy 2, and 1 Peter 3. So, and we can take that same message from other passages as well. We can infer it from other passages where it isn't stated directly. 
So this seems like a theme to keep in mind when we keep seeing it throughout Scripture over and over again, pursuing peace. We're commanded many times to take the initiative in getting to a peaceful relationship. So there's that initiative again. We're not going to pursue peace unless we take the initiative to do so. That pursuing peace means we're doing something about it. It's not waiting for peace. It's pursuing peace. It begins with examining ourselves, confessing, repenting, and seeking forgiveness. And that takes humility, and it takes courage to do so. Um, Seward Scott says, some, this is, so th- these are his points with my comments, but some God-honoring ways to avoid, to avoid conflict... Seek to know one another well and understand one another's perspectives. Um, Many conflicts occur because of preferences or differences in our perspectives or expectations. When we put the effort in to understand these differences, we're better able to regard the other as more important and to serve them. It's also easier to be patient when we understand the other person's motivations. So when we come into marriage, we're coming in with different backgrounds. We're coming in with different perspectives. And when we don't get that, when we don't allow for that, when we want everybody to conform to our way, we want our spouse to do what we do and how we do it, we're, that's going to cause, it's, not gonna, it's going to tempt a conflict because they're going to push back. We don't do it that way. I've never done it that way. My family never did it that way. Well, if we're more understanding and asking lots of questions and figuring these things out and getting lots of data on the front end, then it's going to make us more understanding of how to live with that person in peace. Gather plenty of data before speaking. Ask lots of questions. Make sure you're not responding to the wrong assumptions. We hear somebody, we've said this before, if we hear somebody say something and rather than hoping all things and believing all things, we assume the worst, their ill motive towards us, and rather than responding rightly, we say, oh yeah, you're going to talk to me that way? I'm going to talk to you like that back. Well, if we are instead thinking, well, maybe I heard that wrong and start asking some questions and not making assumptions, a lot of times we're going to find out that it's going to be something that we misheard or we misunderstood what they said. So many arguments and so many conflicts come down to the fact that things were misunderstood in the first place, but because there's a reaction it causes the other person to react, and or doesn't cause, it tempts them to react, and so it just keeps going. Backtrack it, you find out, oh, I didn't even mean it like that when I said it in the first place. So we'll find these things out early on, we'll, get, we'll be a lot better off. Pray, study, and think about the issue before speaking, if possible. Of course, always have the attitude of saying, if you have a conflict, you have a difference, you have things that you don't agree on, and you're having difficulty agreeing on it altogether, first place is going to the Word together and saying, what does the Word have to say about this? And coming to some conclusions that way, then move on from there. Demonstrate and or communicate your love and care at the time of the disagreement. So when we respond with loving assurance and expressing a genuine desire to maintain a relationship, expressing the desire to keep peace, to pursue peace, then we're going to get a lot further when we're saying, I love you and I don't want this to go very far as far as us not getting along. What do we need to do to talk about this? It makes it a lot easier for that other person to respond in kind as well. Listen more than you speak. Proverbs 10, 19, we've said this one lots of times too. When there are many words, transgression is unavoidable, but he who restrains his lips is wise. So thinking before we talk. Ephesians 4, 25, speak truth, each one of you, to. so we're commanded to speak truth. Truth to our neighbor. And of course, 
Ephesians 4.29 has been our overarching verse, I think, for this whole communication series in that we are commanded to speak those things that edify and give grace to those who hear. In matters of sin, approach your spouse with truth in love. So if it's sinful, then approach them rightly. Talk to them sensibly about the Word, but use the Word. Don't come with your opinion. Come with the Word and say, Honey, I think this is something we need to talk about. The Word says this. I'm noticing this pattern. In matters of preference, prefer your spouse. In matters of wisdom and conscience, suggest searching the Scriptures and getting godly counsel. Proverbs tells us multiple times that multiple counselors leads to victory. So if you're having trouble getting through something together, find somebody else to give some input. Refuse to sin in your communication. That should be obvious. Be more interested in God's glory and the other's good rather than having your own way or being right. Um, so one last thing. So I talked about differences and preferences. And if you look at Ephesians 4, 1 through 3, it says, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. I've always kind of liked that word tolerance in there because when, you, you know, when we normally talk, we say, I'm tolerating that person. It's not loving, really. <laughs> it's more like I just can't stand them, but I'm tolerating them. Um, but in this, showing tolerance for one another, so it's being understanding towards the other person. It's, it's, it's putting up, so to speak, in a kind way <laughs> with, with your spouse. And, uh, you know, applying the true nature of leaving and cleaving is helpful in this area. So I talked about those expectations coming in from, into, from separate sides into the marriage. Well, a lot of that's driven by the families outside. A lot of that's driven by this family over here, this family of here, and the couple comes together, and now you've got moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas, they're all contributing to this conflict that's between the husband and wife because they're both trying to please their families, right? So the leaving and cleaving comes into play here. We should consider what expectations and preferences we're bringing to the conflict because it's how we are accustomed to doing whatever it is some particular way. Now, Genesis 2.24, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So in becoming one, we are somewhat distancing ourselves from those inputs and from that influence of our families. Now, I'm saying this because conflicts of this nature might be in more than one of y'all's home right now during this week, in the weeks to come, and maybe the last few weeks, right? Um, the preferences, habits, and traditions regarding holidays often tempt husbands and wives, grown children and their parents, parents and or grandparents, to cling tightly to their own desires and respond sinfully. So we need to be thinking about how, as a couple, we can be cleaving to one another, leaving the families outside, and making our decisions as a family, as a new family unit, graciously, and having to communicate, that, this is where that courage <laughs> and this is where that, that commitment to pursuing peace is going to come in as we're communicating that to the families outside as well. And just this, in, in just in the practical nature, I, I'm sure none of you need this, but I'm going to say it anyway. Um, just in a, a practical, you know, I've talked about interrupting 
and communication. And this, you know, when you get in a conflict, interrupting, it's real easy. But you said, but you said, but you said, but wait, you didn't say, but you said, you're, you're going to interrupt. It's, it's very common for people to keep interrupting and try and say what they want to say and cut off the other person, right? So this is a very practical homework assignment that you're going to get in marriage counseling when you end up there because you can't fix your conflict by yourself, right? So Bill Shannon says this, and I, it's somewhat humorous to me, but it's reality. He says, take turns, maybe even put on a timer. You can put this on a timer, say, okay, you get 15 minutes, I get 15 minutes, and we do this every 15 minutes. We each get 15 minutes to explain, and we don't have to rush it. We don't have somebody going over. You take turns, and then you discuss the issues. If, you're having, if you are in a battle where the interrupting is going on and you can't get in a word, maybe this is a suggestion. Maybe this is, maybe you should make it a half an hour, though. I'm not sure 15 minutes would be enough a lot of times. But, but as I said, disagreements and conflicts oftentimes occur, and they start with a misunderstanding. And the misunderstanding oftentimes occurs because somebody interrupted the other person and they didn't get out their full thought. And then you go back and forth like that for quite a while. And then you find out later they didn't mean that in the first place. And then you thought about nothing. So anyway, just a thought. Um, let's pray. <laughs> Lord, thank you for this morning. And we do thank you for your word that you have granted us revelation of yourself, um, that you have made your will known to us, that we can know how to relate to one another um, in the church to the world outside, in our marriages, to our kids. And Lord, we thank you for all that you've put in your word regarding communication. We thank you for all in your word about conflict and that we ought to be pursuing peace with one another. I pray that you grant us wisdom and discernment as we consider how to do that, even particularly if there's, there's struggles going on with families uh, this week and in, during the holidays. I pray that you would grant us the ability to deal with those things graciously, to love and prefer one another, and that you would help us to work these things in a way that's pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, amen.